Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Alejandro Monteverde, who is director of Little Boy. Today we will discuss his movie, Little Boy. Alejandro is a Mexican writer whose first feature, Bella, won the People's Choice Award at the Toronto Film Festival and brought him the American by Choice Award for its positive contribution to Latino art and culture in the United States. His second feature, Little Boy, was picked up for general release by Open Road and had its debut in theaters nationwide April 24th of 2015. The film was produced by his company, Metanoia Films. It tells the gripping and universal story of a boy willing to believe the impossible in order to bring his father back from World War II. Alejandro is developing his next film, The Hidden Ones, a dark international thriller that follows a brilliant killer who is brutally murdering the 12 holiest monks on earth and the young FBI agent who dives dangerously deep into the killer's demonic world. He and his wife, Ali Landry, an actress and former Miss USA, live in Los Angeles with their three children. Alejandro, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. I'm very excited about uh, talking all about my new movie, Little Boy. Tell us, in your own words, what it is that is behind the story of Little Boy. Why is it so special? Why is it controversial? Well, first of all, it's very special because it came from the bottom of my heart. It's a very honest story, and it's a very objective story about very important subject matters that make the foundations and core of the human spirit. This is a story about belief. It's a story about believing in the impossible. And we live in a society, we are constantly told that anything outside of the ordinary, anything that makes something extraordinary a goal, it's impossible. And most of the time we tell we are victims of our own selves. We tell that to ourselves. So this is a story about believing in the impossible. Well, what does that really mean? So I started first by exploring my character. I wanted to tell the ultimate do uh, underdog story. I have been an underdog my entire life. Uh, one, because I am a minority and on this country, and you know, English is my second language. I moved here when I was 18 years old. I didn't speak a word of English. So everything was very, very difficult from the beginning. I had big dreams, but very limited resources. So when I was exploring my character, I wanted to somehow resemble what I have been going through. So when I was looking at the ultimate underdog story, I realized that children have very limited resources. They're not self-dependent. They depend from the adult world. What kind of tools do they have if they're facing a major challenge in their lives? What can they use? And that, for me, he, you know, the character, little boy, an eight-year-old boy, who suffers from growth, he's a, he's, he's a, uh, uh, a normal height, he's very short, that's why they, his nickname is Little Boy. He's been bullied by everybody, he has no friends. And on top of that, his only friend, his best friend, the, everything he had in his life, his father, the love of his father, they're separated by World War II. And this separation causes major pain and hurt on this boy. And exploring that, what can this boy do against one of the greatest war of all times. So the movie really explores also sizes, you know, small versus big. And we always feel small. Our problems 
feel like they're huge. So I started resembling the story a little bit about David and Goliath. I feel like everybody has their Goliaths in their lives, their big giants that they need to defeat. But a lot of the times we're afraid. So it is a movie that there's a line in the film that I love that it says, you know, life is about facing one's fears and to act. And this is the story of a boy who's willing to do whatever it takes in order to bring his father back. And the ultimate task is he believes, an eight-year-old boy, that he can end World War II himself. So that is believing in the impossible. And, you know, the story really questions and explores a lot of very, you know, interesting themes, very deep themes, but from the perspective of, of an eight-year-old boy. And when I started telling, you know, learning and exploring the story, I found, discovered, is a better word, because, you know, I was born and raised in Mexico, and I was not very familiar with the illustrations of Norman Rockwell. When I saw the Norman Rockwell illustrations and some of his paintings, I can identify with his paintings and illustrations because he was able to capture the colloquial lifestyle of the United States. And, you know, Mexico is filled with colloquialism. That's kind of like, you know, it's very cultural and very, you know, outgoing. And, and, and his illustration, the life that he was depicting, it was everybody's outside and everybody's kind of like the community and the culture was, it kind of resembled of my culture in a, in a, in an odd way. So I wanted to tell this story as, as if Norman Rockwell himself would be depicting the story. So what I did, I ended up building an entire town based on Norman Rockwell paintings. So the story, it's, it's a little bit of a book tale. It's like a fairy tale without the fairies for adults. And children will love it as well. It's a family movie. And the reason it's becoming a little bit of controversial right now is for this reason. This is a movie that when we finish it, we tested it three times. And we got Titanic numbers, the movie Titanic, which is the highest tasting, t- t- uh, testing film out there from by the audiences and we tested on the 90s so then we went and started testing the movie with thousands over 60,000 people and everybody was loving the film that's how we were able to get distribution and the movie goes out and then the critics come in and there is something very interesting happening this is the first film in history where there is an 80 point gap between the critics and the audience And this is something I've been noticing for a long time, a major disconnect between critics and audiences, between Hollywood and and, and audiences. And that's why, in my opinion, you know, the film industry is getting hurt on the smaller movies. You know, the the big blockbusters are untouchable because, you know, they have $200 million budgets with, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars for marketing uh, to market those films. But the smaller films are the ones that are getting hurt by this disconnect. So this one, at least my film is making that very obvious because I've, I've, I've seen audiences, how they are reacting. So right now I love it because I've always been an underdog and therefore my film is an underdog right now. You know, Avengers is coming out this weekend and we're, we're pretty much little boy is David, but it's shorter than David and Avengers is Goliath, but it's three times the size of Goliath. So we're facing a huge giant, and the movie, it's about that itself, believing in the impossible. So right now, I've heard, oh, it's impossible to survive, you know, um, a movie like 
an opening film like Avengers. So, well, my movie is about believing in the impossible. So uh, until I hear otherwise, I'm going to continue to believe that we can do this and that the film will survive, you know, these huge giants that are coming out, these blockbusters on the summer. So it is a, 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 a great journey because it, res- it kind of mirrors, you know, real- you know, reality starts to mirror art and vice versa. Who's your target audience for the movie? Everybody. And that's another thing that this movie is about tolerance and it's a movie about that opposes labeling. We live in a country and, you know, sometimes when, when you are from another country, it's a lot easier to see the problems in a, in a, in a, in another, in someone else's, you know, house or country. And I love this country. I, 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 I am an American, you know, I'm a U.S. citizen. And one problem with my country that killed my country is division. You know, my country is divided. Mexico is, you cannot be more divided than Mexico. And that's why it's never going to advance. You know, when you have division, division is the worst thing that can happen. Here in this country, you know, I, I moved here like around 15 years ago. And it was a very, you know, in, in my uh, experience, the country was still united. You know, we still had commercials where we are an American. And there was this pride to be an American. Today, the vision is almost like the new thing, labeling. We are living, we live in a world where we put in a label on everything. And that's a very dangerous, very dangerous thing to do. And we just have to look at history and see the consequences of labeling. All the way from World War II, Hitler, Nazis, and World War I, and you continue on. And here in the United States, with the segregation, anything that labels, it's a very dangerous thing. Now, my film is for everybody. However, it was labeled. I don't know why, or maybe I do, because for marketing reasons, which I always oppose to that. But the film was labeled. It's a movie for everybody that explores many different things, one of them belief. But both beliefs, the atheistic point of view, the belief in oneself, and the belief in God, from a very objective point of view, a very honest point of view, so much that my team and the people that are behind of this film, half of them have one belief system and the other half have a different belief system. And I love that because I believe that we don't, we don't have to change each other. The problem is all of my friends don't believe what I believe, but they're my best friends. I've been friends with them for 20 years and I love that because our friendship is not based in trying to change each other. Our friendship is to trying to figure out what do we agree and try to make a difference in the things that we agree. We spend so much time debating any type of issue that whatever we're debating because we're, we're spending so much time debating you know, we have children dying out of hunger. We have, we see no change. And this movie explores that. It explores all of those themes. But then when the movie was released, it was put up in a box. And it was put up in a box that labeled it one thing. In, in, in my opinion, is alienating other audiences. And that is a very dangerous. And my film has been a victim of that. And the movie explores that because... You know, one of the things in the film, it's about during the 1940s, there was a lot of fear against the Japanese, the, the American Japanese that were living in the United States because we were, we were, we were at war against Japan. So that fear pushed 
the American government to take all of the Japanese Americans, taking them from their homes and put them in relocation camps. So they have the face of the enemy. And because they have the face of the enemy, suddenly there was this instant hate by other Americans towards American Japanese. So that's a great example because I have the faith, you know, if, 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 if the U.S. will ever go to go to war against Mexico, all of a sudden I'm going to have the face of the enemy. And that is labeling. And we should not label. And my film now is labeled and I'm trying to break that labeling. I'm trying to believe in the impossible and try to break those chains because once people see the film, they realize that the movie was labeled and was a victim of labeling because it's a very objective film about the power of fate. It really questions, is fate something real or is superstition? And we really go through that journey through the eyes of Little Boy. And Little Boy has two mentors. He has a Catholic priest in one side, and in the other side, he has a Japanese man who is more interested in the will of man than in the will of God. He's, he can call himself an atheist, but he has faith. Not because he's an atheist, that means that he, he's faithless. He has faith in humanity. He has faith in oneself. And we explore that. However, when I finish the movie, we tested it. No one single person said that this film was faith-based. But then when it was time to sell it, it was put on the faith-based uh, category. And that automatically alienates a lot of audiences. So that is a little bit of the controversy that is going on, and I'm trying to stay out of it, and I'm trying to tell audiences, this movie is for everybody, and please, after people see it, then they'll agree with me. That I can guarantee. Is that the label that you're referring to, Alejandro? Is, it a, is there a religious label that someone has attached to it? A hundred percent. And it was all the critics. And the reason the critics labeled it like that was because it was presented to them like that. So it's, 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 it's unfortunately, you know, we're, we're, it's a lot of the times, you know, we see anything of the way that it was labeled. So if, if, if they give you something that is already labeled, you're already going to see it like that, unless you can see past that. And we need to, because we live in a society that we buy what people tell us. If they say they are the enemy, we don't even question it. And that's one thing. I love to do in my movies. I don't like to give answers. I like to question things. I like to present and create questions. I think the change doesn't, it's not in the, in the answers because no one has the answers. The change begins with questions, creating a conversation, meaningful conversations, conversations that actually can lead to a change, not debates. I am tired of debating and, you know, it is very interesting because you, you go into a dinner and the first question they ask you, are, uh, you know, are you, are you believe this or you believe this? Are you pro this or are you pro that? And I'm like, let me ask you a question. What kind of wine you like? You know, maybe we have something in common. Let's, let's talk about wine. <laughs> and then once you find something in common, you can create a good conversation. And then once you create a good conversation, you create respect and you create a bridge. So that's, it's, it is a very, uh, it, it, it's almost cultural now that, you know, they want to put you, are, are you they want to, I always feel like they, you enter into a room and they're like, okay, we have uh, red t-shirts and blue t-shirts. What kind of t-shirt do you want? Are you blue or red? I'm like, I'm actually purple. Do you have purple t-shirts? No, then I don't belong here because you want to separate. And the minute you create the vision, 
that race, we are going to get stuck. And we spend too much time judging. And when you have so much time judging, you won't have any time to love. You won't have any time to understand. And that's what this film is about. It's a very important movie that, in a very, I still don't understand the critics don't want the audiences to see. I have no idea why. I'm trying to understand before I can judge. I'm, I still don't know why. Eventually I'll find the answer. I still, I'm still, we're still, this is as new as a few days ago. Where did you film? Let's talk a little bit about the movie. Where, in what uh, location, in what uh, state or country did you film? So, when I, when I finished writing the movie, the first thing I heard from everybody who read it, it's, it's a beautiful script, but this is impossible to be made because pretty much one producer say, look, the only way to make this movie harder is you have to shoot it underwater. The budget came out around $60 million because it was 1940s and the whole movie happens in a small town in the, in, in the coast of California. Every town in the coast of California to close those towns down to shoot a movie, it was impossible. Then that was the reality. So once we realized that we, we were not going to be able to raise $60 million, we decided one, one thing that has become my kind of like my theme is limitation is creation. I've always been limited and I have to think outside the box in order to create. So limitation is creation. So at this time we were limited. We, we don't have $60 million. Well, what are my options? So I started looking all around the globe, all around the world, looking for the location that at any place that kind of looked like a small town, Americana, Norman Rockwell, a Rockwellian town in, in, in around the world. So we looked everywhere, everywhere, South Africa, Canada, uh, Argentina. And we kept looking and looking and looking, New Zealand and nothing. It was very difficult. Nothing looked like the town that I had in mind, a Rockwellian town to the point that I realized the only way this is going to work is if we build it. And, of course, the producers looked at me, are you crazy? This is going to cost ridiculously amount of money. So, well, let's explore that. So we went to Mexico. We literally just drove a few hours, actually two hours from, from where I am. It's a, a little town called Rosarito. And in Rosarito, the, there's a studio that James Cameron built to shoot Titanic. So we went in there and we looked and it's right on the coast because he shot a tiny bit there. So they have all these studios. So I knew I could shoot all my interiors in there. And then we kept looking and I saw the parking lot where they park all the trailers and it was right over the cliff. So I looked at that and I knew I was like, right here, we can build a town. So let's budget it. Let's see how it is. And, uh, we called the, uh, there was a movie that was nominated for an Oscar for best production design called Frida. And I called the production designer and um, the, the art director, and I brought him in. I took him to the location, and I said, this is what I want. I showed him the pictures from Norman Rockwell paintings. Can we do this? They gave me a budget that was incredible. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was amazing. It was like, I think it was under $4 million to, to build the town. So then that opened every single door. We look at our budget, and we ended up, Raising one third of the money of the 60 million, we, we, we shot the movie a little bit on the 20 million bucks and we built the town. And literally when I tell you is we built a town, we built a town with streets, with telephone poles, with, you know, you can literally drive around the town. We built a, uh, a port. We built on water. We built the jungle. The entire movie was shot in Mexico. Nobody believes it when you see it because it looks like a town somewhere between here and San Francisco. So 
it was an amazing experience because one thing is to find a location, one thing is to really build what's in your head. I want a street in here and I want this port in here. So that was, it was incredible, you know. Uh, I wish I would enjoy it more because I was really stressed throughout the entire film. And, you know, when you, when you get, get grow older, you, you live, you learn to live in the present and not so much. You know, I would say, you know, stress is a result of too much future and not much and not enough present. So, you know, I, I, now that I'm talking about it, I, I'm, I'm being nostalgic because it was such an amazing experience to be a, have the opportunity to, to build what's in your head, not just the story, but also to build the towns. So it was amazing because it's a movie, it's an American movie written, produced, and directed and built by Mexicans. So it's, it's a very interesting approach. Where did the story come from? Where was it born? Was this based on... I, I know you said that many of the inspiration came from your own life experiences, but was there a kernel of truth? Where, was this, where did the story come from? Um, it, it comes from, from, from our minds. It's, uh, you know, there's some historical events that happened, like World War II, and, you know, everything that was going on on the home front... In the United States, is a story about the home front during World War II. So we 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 explore the hurts and pains and tribulations that the American people went through here while there was war in Europe. So the story really uh, kicked in. I was normally when I write, uh, I cannot write at home. I cannot write in my town because there's too many distractions, too many friends here. So I always leave. I, I go to different places. Sometimes I go places that right now the interesting part is where I wrote Little Boy. If you ask me where it was, I don't know. It was middle America, somewhere really far. I took like three planes, and I ended up in a little cabin in the middle of nowhere in a town that had one street. There was nothing, one little market. And I don't know where it was. I, I think I, I flew to Denver, and then I took a lot of little plane, and then I just found it on the internet. And, and the cabin it was 200 year old or 100. It was one of the early, early cabins that they had. So it was a very old, very historical. So I went there, and they didn't have TVs, so which is great for a writer. And they did have internet. So when I was there, I went there to write. I didn't know what I was going to write. I didn't know I was going to write Little Boy. And I had a, you know, a blackout, you know, writer's block. I, 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 I was there for a week and I had nothing, nothing. And I was getting a little frustrated, you know, because after a week of, of, of empty pages, it gets very frustrated. So I needed a distraction and there was no distractions in there. You know, there was, there was nothing to do. And I, you know, I started just kind of looking all around the house and I found this little TV with an antenna. That I was like, okay, maybe I can watch some TV. And I connected the TV and I put it on the wall and I kind of put the antenna in there and I picked up two channels. I don't remember the other channel, but one of the channels was the history channel. And I put it in and as soon as I put it in, it was Truman. Truman, real footage. They were doing a whole piece on World War II and about the atomic bomb. And it was Truman talking about the decision of ending World War II. And it was right there at right mo that moment. When I saw that, I didn't know what to make of that information. I 
turned the little TV off, and the minute I turned the TV off, I was with my co-writer, and we looked at each other, and we already kind of had the character, which was Little Boy. We already knew that we wanted to tell a story about the underdog, and we wanted to tell a story about a boy who was separated from the father. We had that much, but we didn't know the period. We didn't know the events that were going to happen, and we, were not, we didn't know what, what they were going to be separated by. So we looked at each other, and we literally ran to our computers. We didn't sleep that night. So we saw that video around like 4 p.m., and by 3 or 4 p.m., 3 or 4 in the morning, we literally had the entire story mapped out. Okay, this is about this, 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 and then this character, and then we started going in, then we found the relocation camps, then we see the Japanese, the head against the Japanese. We started looking at all that world, and we found Norman Rockwell. We spent all this time looking at Norman Rockwell illustrations. We're like, oh, my gosh, look at this. We're so excited to to see this whole world because he was looking at from a very fresh eyes. You know, I've, I've, you know, everybody is like, it was funny because I would call my friends. I have, are you familiar with Norman Rockwell? And they're all like, yeah, of course, man. We, 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 it's like the most known American illustrator out there. I'm like, wow, well, I wish I, I, you know, I was born and raised in Mexico, so I was not familiar with his work. So it was all in one night that kind of like the big pieces came together. I really thought I was, it was going to take me around six months to write the script. But it ended up taking me three years because I realized that there was a lot of subtext, a lot of very sensitive subject matters that I needed to handle very careful, very careful. And that's one of the frustrations because it took me three years to make a movie that is very balanced and very, that is, that explores these things from a very objective point of view to then have some people out there to put it on, on, on one box when I wanted to stay in the middle. So it was, uh, it was, it was a very interesting journey and a, a very complex one, very complex one because the story came up in less than a day and to put it on paper took three years. Who's in it? We have one of my favorite, favorite actors of all times. Uh, we have a lot of British actors. We have Emily Watson who I've been a fan of her since I was in film school, and my dream was to work with her, and I wrote the character for her. So it was a dream that she, she said yes, and that she wanted to do the movie. Then we have Tom Wilkinson, who is one of the greatest actors on, of, of, of our generation. He's the best. And I also send him the script, hoping high, and he said yes. And we have another British actor. His name is Ben Chaplin, which also I was a big fan and he said yes. And then American actors, we have Kevin James, uh, who he plays a very different role that he's ever played before, uh, Michael Rappaport, and the lead actor of the film, and Kerry Tagawa, who plays the Japanese man. But the most important of all, because he, he the whole movie is on his shoulders, is Jacob Salvari, the eight-year-old boy. You know, 99% of the movie is the little boy. So I knew that there was one mistake that I could not make, and it was casting the wrong kid. So I saw over 1,000 little children, casting them, auditioning them, and finally I found Jacob, who was not an actor, who did not come to audition. He was accompanying his older brother, who came to audition, but he was too young. He was, I think, at that time, six or seven years old, and the kid was eight in the film. So normally... What you do 
is you hire an older kid to play a young kid in order to get more hours on the set and to have a more mature kid with more experience. So normally you you will get an 11-year-old or a 10-year-old that looks 8 and work with him. You never take a kid that is 7-year-old to play an 8-year-old. Uh, one, because they don't look like it, and two, because you lose hours, and three, is because they're not mature enough to, to handle, you know, a $20 million film on over the shoulders where they are in every single scene, three months of work. So... It was a very risk decision that I made to, to go with a, with a non-actor kid who's never acted before. But when I saw him, uh, he was waiting on the lobby, waiting for his brother. He didn't come to audition. I walked out and I saw him and I instantly knew I just needed to prove it to, to my producers. So it took, it took, it was a long journey, a lot of work, uh, because he was not doing well on the auditions. So I can, I had to work and work and work and we built a relationship. We built a friendship. And I was pretty much, it was, it was funny because here I am, the director is, you know, uh, rehearsing and working with, with a kid to audition for the director. So I was training him to audition for me, uh, in order to prove to myself and to everybody that he was the one. So it was a few weeks of work until he finally nailed an incredible audition and, and, and we defeat the odds, you know, because same thing, same thing. People didn't believe that he could do it. And that one was just pure instinct. I could not explain in words why him. And that was a problem that I was having with my business partners. I just knew it. So I just needed to prove it. And I did. So I, I'm, that's one of the decisions that I'm more proud of because, you know, he should be nominated for an Oscar. He should be nominated for an Oscar. And if he's not, uh, something is really wrong out there. Why a little boy, Alejandro? Why not a little girl? Was there a particular reason? Well, uh, no. You know, I, I actually never thought of that. Um, it's instinctual. You know, that's a very, very good question. Sometimes we don't know why. We just know. Um, that is happening to me right now with my new movie, The Hidden Ones. They asked me, the lead act, the lead, the lead, the hero of the film is a woman. And they asked me that question. Why a woman and not a man? And I don't have a, I don't have a solid answer. I'm like, you know what? I, I, it's instinctual. I, I feel it has to be a woman. It could easily, her name is Jen on the movie and the character, it could be John. There is no reason why it should be a woman. But, you know, when I conceived the story, when I started writing, I, I saw, a female agent. She's an FBI agent. And every movie you see, for the most part, is an FBI male agent. So it's, it was very easy, common thing to go with a, with a man, but I didn't do it to go against the stereotype. It's just what it came. You know, when it's, where does the stories come from? Where do the characters come from? Where do the ideas come from? I don't know. And sometimes they come. And they already come dressed with a name and with a character. So little boy, he came as a boy. Uh, in Hidden One, he came as a woman, uh, my hero. And I'm going to have to fight for, the, for that one big times because, you know, in terms of box office and all that, and, you know, there's more male actors out there. But for me, it's extremely important that it's a woman on, 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 on my new film, the lead, the lead and the hero of the film, it's a woman because that's how it was conceived. 
So, uh, you know, it was a little void because it was mainly uh, of, of, uh, instinctually, but also I can see there was a relationship between a father and a son, and the father was going to go to war. And, you know, I know that, you know, I have a daughter, and I have a, an amazing relationship with my daughter, but I play with my daughter very differently than I play with, and I have two boys that I play with my boys. You know, with my boys, you know, I, I it kind of brings the, the the kid in me. You know, I I I go and I pretend I'm five years old to four years old, and we start playing, you know, with toys and you know these these stories. He's more interested in that. When I attempt that with my daughter, she was like, I don't know about that game. You know, I don't know if I, 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 I like that. You know, I kind of kind of she prefers more. You know, the whole singing and more artistic side uh, of, of things. So maybe it was also because of the relationship between a father and a son and the bond that they had with their imaginations. You know, the whole movie, his biggest weapon on, on the film, the weapon that little boy has is his imagination and the power to believe. I don't know if you, you know, we all notice this. It's very obvious that when we're children, we have no problem believing. That's the easiest thing. It's secondhand. It's instinctual. They tell us something, we believe it. You know, you believe, you can even believe you can fly, you know. That's why many kids, you know, break their bones because they, they believe they can fly. And they believe in magic, they believe in, in anything. And that power will start losing as we grow. You know, when you, if you ask a kid what you want to be when you grow up, they always tell you big things. I want to be, you know, the president of the United States. I want to be, I want to make big movies. I want to be a pilot. I want to be, and they, they have these huge dreams. But as they start growing older, those dreams start switching gears. And then instead of wanting to be a pilot, all of a sudden they want to just, just to get a job. As long as I can get a job. So what happens is we stop believing. We stop believing. And that's a very, you know, sad thing. And that's what this movie is about. We cannot stop believing. We need to believe. And this movie is about belief. And it's not about, it's not a movie that is imposing the audience into what belief. And that's the difference of this film. It's a movie that proposes the path of believing. So, it's, it's, uh, it's an important film. about filmmaking, indie filmmaking, it seems that there are many challenges, not the least of which is securing funding and time constraints and all sorts of roadblocks. What is it that drew you or that draws you still toward filmmaking? The urge to tell stories. That's the most important thing. You know, so the, the thing that drives me to try to to make movies is the drive and the urge to tell stories. This is what I tell everybody, you know, I, I, I constantly, I love to share the path into how to, the shortcuts, there are shortcuts in life and I wish somebody would tell me the shortcuts because sometimes I go the long way and then I realize, oh, it's easier to, to arrive if you take a right in that corner. So, one of the most important things when I go, you know, sometimes I go and I become a guest lecturer at, at different uh, film, film, film uh, schools. And the first question 
This is always the first question I'm asked by filmmakers. How did you get the money? How did you get the money? And I always answer, that is a problem. That is the wrong question. The money, we live in a capital, capital, capitalistic country. There's money out there. That's the easy thing, believe it or not. It's the story that sells. If you get a good story, the money will come. That I can guarantee you. There is not a good story that hasn't been made. And if it hasn't been made, it's because the studio bought it and they just shelved it, but they bought it and they know it's a good story. So stories get sold and get made. So that is a question that it has to be, if you want to make a movie, if you want to make a film, is focus in finding a very compelling and a good story. Then once you have that, that is, has to be the foundation of making films. Filmmaker is equal to a storyteller. It's all about the story. I make films because I have an urge to tell stories. And I will tell, you know, a story in a heartbeat just sitting at a table. And somebody wants a story, I will tell stories. Like, you know, with my children, I will just create a story within a second. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, 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 it's like a, an addiction. And I've been having that since I was a kid. I didn't know I wanted to be a filmmaker. And I come, I come from a, from a city where, in a country where there was not a culture. Right now there's a culture because of all these new Mexican directors that, that came from my country. But when I was growing up, movies were not being made in Mexico. Only in the, only in Hollywood. So I didn't grow up in a culture where like I was going to the movies and all of that. Like, you know, my, I, it, it, it's all romantic. No, I, I did not know who make movies. I thought movies were made by the actors. That's how naive I was. I was like, oh, let's go see the new Tom Cruise film. And I thought it was Tom Cruise, the one who made everything. So that's how it was in my head. I had no clue about how it worked. But I knew that since I was a kid, and I'm talking 10, 11 years old, that I love to tell stories with my toys. And I will play, and my, my stories will take for like a week or two, where I will have my G.I. Joes and you know, all my different types of, uh, of toys and I will create characters. My Superman didn't fly. He had pain and hurt. And, you know, I was kind of this, you know, kind of exploring all these different emotions on, 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 on my characters. But I didn't know what that meant. You know, my friends thought I was crazy. They didn't like to play with me because I was too intense. Then all of a sudden you're 15 years old and it looks really bad that you continue to play with your toys. So I kind of was doing that. <laughs> On, you know, secretly, I was just kind of like secretly, I'll still have my toys and I'll still play with them and try to tell the stories. Then eventually, you know, you're 17 and that, that, then that looked really, really bad. So I stopped. And then I went to study English to Austin, Texas. And I was in Austin and I was walking on the street one day and I saw a film shoot. And I just went and I gravitated to that and I realized what they were doing. I said, they're doing the exact same thing that I'm doing, but instead of using toys they're using actors and right there is when i want to do that like it's i want to tell stories and now instead of me when i'm when when a toy I, it needs to move i have to move the, the the toy i was like i wanna now i can tell an actor you know you do this so i can tell the stories to in this way but i still didn't know what it meant and in, in one way i thought it was like theater so my first instinct was to go to theater and when I started going into like acting classes and trying to realize how theater works, I, in the beginning I kind of was like, oh, maybe I want to be a, 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 a director that, for plays. 
And I started exploring that, and my parents said to me that, you know, they, 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 my parents don't have a college degree, and their dream was that we get college degrees. So my mom begged me, she's like, look, just give me a college degree, whatever you want to do, just, just, that, that, just do it for us. And that's when I started turning into the film school. What's a film school? You can actually start a film. And that became the biggest challenge of my life until today. Because I wanted to go in that time to the University of Texas, which at that time was number four in the nation, and it had two-year waiting list. So it was impossible for me to get in. One, I didn't speak any English. My English was really, really bad. Two, I never was too good at school. So when I transferred my my credits from my from Mexico high school to the United States, my credits, my GPA transferred to 1.6, 1.6. And the minimal GPA to get into the University of Texas at that time was 3.5, the minimal. But it was such a competition that everybody had 3.5 and up, and there was a two-year waiting list to get in. So I don't want to bore you how I got in, but I got in, like, fighting, perseverance. That was the most impossible thing I ever done was to get into film school at the University of Texas. And I, I was determined, and that's when everything, my whole, that's why I believe in the impossible, because that was impossible. There was nothing more impossible than for me, even though it sounds, it, that was the impossible thing to do for me that I was facing, and I had faith, and I did it. So when, once you do it once, then you become a little bit fearless. You, you have that, and people think you're crazy, and, you know, sometimes I think I'm crazy, because you risk a lot. Like right now, little boy, we put all our eggs in one basket and we risk everything. We put everything. I put five years of my life. I didn't do anything else. And here we have a movie in theaters. And if it doesn't do well, I have no idea what's going to happen. You know, I'm, I'm in that place. It's, it's a very, it's an anxiety filled with adrenaline. But, you know, now I have a wife and three kids. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting situation that I am right now. But, Going back into the film world, it is a very, 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 uh, everything is difficult, but making movies is, it's, 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 um, it's very, very hard because it's very expensive, uh, uh, art form. You know, it's, it's not like music that you can play, you know, you can create your own studio, your house, or, you know, making a movie, it requires of a lot, a lot of money. You're talking millions and millions of dollars. And a lot of the filmmakers, we are just storytellers. We're not businessmen. We don't know how to go into, you know, bring money and ask for money and raise money. You know, this movie, Little Boy, it cost us a little bit over $20 million, but we raised the money ourselves. We went all around the nation knocking doors. And at the end, every investor, every investor would tell me the same thing. He would be like, you have five minutes because they're busy. That's why they are so successful. They're very busy, always making money. And all, uh, every time I will try to get a meeting with them and say, can I have five minutes of your time? I will never ask for more, only five minutes. And I will allow them to invite me to stay longer. And I knew that in those five minutes, I needed to tell them this story that it would move their hearts for them to want to hear more. I will not ask for money or nothing. I will just be like, I'm here because I want you to hear this story. And they're like, okay, but do you, what, you want uh, me to invest? Because I don't invest in movies. No, 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 no. I don't, I'm, I'm just here to tell your story. That's it. Just listen to the story, and after you finish, if you like it, 
to see how you can help me. Maybe you know somebody who wants to invest in movies, but I'm not here to ask you for money. I'm here to tell you the story. And that was my strategy. So I will go in and start telling the story. And the minute I was going like halfway to the story in my five-minute pitch, I would stop and I would be like, oh, you know, the five minutes, should I continue? And they were already hooked. They're like, yeah, 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 of course, of course. No, no, hold on. And then he would cancel the next meeting and continue. And then I'll finish. And then he'd say, what do you need? And I would tell him, well, you know, this is the minimal investment that we're looking for. But if you know anybody, he's like, no, no, I, 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 let me think about that. I'm, I'm actually want to see this movie on the stream. Next thing led to another one. And we, we, we started, you know, we, we raised over $20 million in around eight, eight months. And I owe that to the story. It's all, it, it's, that's, that's my strategy. Uh, that's what I, I, I tell people that want to make movies. You can spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to raise money. But I think that time should be spent into how to tell a great story, how to practice. You know, a lot of, a lot of the filmmakers are really good writing, but they're not really good pitching a story. And you need, we need, you know, filmmakers need to learn how to tell a story and they need to practice. You know, they can actually, they don't teach you this in film school, but you need to like, you know, we, we live in a world where we all get distracted really quick. We got to learn into how to go. And if somebody gives you five minutes to really grab their hearts as quick as you can, that way they ask you for more of your time instead of you asking them for their time. So that's how it switches. Alejandro, what makes a good story? You've talked about the importance of a good story. What makes a good story? Well, you know, Beethoven has one quote. And, and, and I hope it's Beethoven. You know, sometimes I, I, I have, I have ADD, so sometimes I switch. <laughs> I love quotes, but I think this one is Beethoven. Beethoven said, anything that comes from the heart automatically gets to the heart. And that's music, that's stories, that's books, that's paintings. So a good story, it needs to come from the heart. It needs to, you need, it needs to be an urge. It's, it's, it's you need to see something and you 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 know you got you, you that story need to be need to be told or you need to look into the world and realize what kind of stories are needed right now and then try to start thinking about universal things things that people identify with you know stories that are important um that's my my experience for me uh that's how i explore those stories but there is no one way there's you know the good thing about film, the film world, is that there is not one way. There's many ways. You just got to find your way. Um, for me, it's a good story. It's something that relates, something that is relevant, and something that speaks to the heart. So if, if, I, if I'm going to tell you a story to you, you know, I, I, I will tell a story that your heart and my heart, they have something in common. They're both human. So any story that has human qualities, you will like and you will understand and you will, you know, you will reciprocate with it. So that's that's my advice. But there is many other uh, approaches. You know, there's there is the other approach, which is you know the 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 big stories, the, the cars, you know, Fast and the Furious, and those movies done really well. So I'm sure they they have a, a different approach than mine. So it's not there's not a right way. There is your way, but I do think that anything that comes from the heart will get to the heart. That I agree. So if it comes from your heart and you know it, that it's a st- human story, um, it's, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the first step. And the second step is 
to learn how to tell the story. And I'm not talking in film. I'm talking the first step is to learn how to tell the story in, 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 in the table, in a room with somebody. They can practice with their best friends. Hey, you know, and then somebody who can tell them the truth. You know what? That was very boring. You know, I like the story, but the way you told to me, I was falling asleep. Okay, then I have to, you know, I have to change the way to, to, to grab you. What's the story that comes from the heart in the next movie you're making, The Hidden Ones? Well, the first thing is this. I started to see, looking around, and maybe there's always been the same type of evil around the world, but for some reason now, it's more obvious to me. Maybe before I wasn't looking, but right now I just feel a lot of hate, a lot of atrocities, a lot of, you know, you you turn the TV on and, and you see a, a, a mother that killed her seven children, and then you see, like, things that are completely atrocious. You see, you know, in the Middle East, whole villages being burned, people being burned alive from children, and... Then I started to question, where is those evil thoughts come from? Where is those thoughts come from? And the movie explores that. Where those evil comes from? Does it come from twisted minds, genetic, DNA, from generation? Or they come from an outside source, an intelligence, a force? Call it Satan, evil spirits, whatever it is. Where is it coming from? So it, I'm exploring that thing from a very objective point of view, which is an FBI agent who is an agnostic, who she's not one way or the other one, she just needs to solve this case. And this case is surrounded about questioning where is, why is this killer doing this? So for me, you know, I, I think it's, it, 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 I'm doing this movie even for my own self because I'm exploring that question that it's, it's, it's happening today. And, and I feel like, you know, it's, it's, it's the, 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 the deepness of of atrocities and and evil acts that are happening around the world are too much now and i i i, I maybe unconsciously I, I i i thought that this was important but it's a very human you know it's nothing gratuitous in there it's not it's not a you know it is it is a dark movie but a dark that will leave you with a question so what's the story? Tell us again, please. There's a serial killer um, that is killing people all around the world, but the way he is killing is in a way that has never been seen before. And the exploration that the, the, the only way to stop this killer is to understand why he's doing it. And as she's, as this FBI agent starts diving deep into the mind of this particular serial killer, she starts exploring about all these other forces that are outside the human mind. Like, like this, you know, you can call it any way, you know, an intelligence, a force, Satan, an evil spirit. So it explores that. And, but you never see anything supernatural. It just presents whether or not, where is this human, uh, this, this serial killer doing his murders? Is, is, is this comes because it's in his own twisted mind or there is a, an intelligence or a force suggesting this type of killings? Because there's a lot of 
uh, unexplainable events that happen. They, they, they have no explanation. And, um, that's as much as I can say because I don't, you know, I don't want to, uh, you know, we're still in, in negotiations with, with different, uh, uh, producers to see who's going to do it. So I'm not allowed to, to dive too much into it. But so I gotta be careful of how much I say. But it's uh, uh the the overall uh theme of the film is like we're exploring evil, evil, evil. Where does evil comes from? Does it come from our minds? Is it genetics? Is it DNA? Is it you know? Is it, can we explain it? Or is it unexplainable? It's outside. It's uh it's it's a side of us. It's a force. It's Satan, or it's it's that uh, um, an intelligence that you know. That is unexplainable. So it's, 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 it's again an objective point of view, uh, based on some true stories that I put together. So the movie is not a true story, but some of the events are. And there are events that, you know, that are very, very, very dark. That sounds very different from Little Boy, right? Very different. And Little Boy is very different than Bella. So I don't know if that's my tendency. Um, to go from one stream to the other, <laughs> because Bella was, you know, a character-driven film about two broken souls that each other's pain became each other's redemption. The whole movie happens in one day in New York City, two human beings that are broken. And then I go and I write a movie that is more of a, a bigger-than-life fairy tale type book tale type of way of telling the story uh, in a period film, plot-driven, not character-driven. So the plot is driven is bigger than the characters. So maybe instinctually, uh, unconsciously, I went into more of the thriller, psychological thriller genre. So I don't know. People ask me that all the time. It's like, why are you jumping from a family inspirational film to, to this? And... I don't know. Perhaps it has more of a commercial attraction in terms of mass market audience? Perhaps. Perhaps uh, I'm writing a movie that I think will be very difficult to, to label as as, uh, as Little Boy was labeled. So, but it's a meaningful movie. Every, you know, I, I'm not interested in telling uh, superficial stories that won't evoke a thought or a conversation. So, this new movie, it has the same elements that Bella and Little Boy has, which is I explore, I don't give an answer, I present a question, I propose a theme, I don't impose a theme. Bella, I did the same thing, and it also was labeled. <laughs> so, you know, Bella is a story about a woman that is dealing with an unwanted pregnancy, and that's all I did. And, you know, I ended up winning the Toronto Film Festival, which is a very mainstream film festival, Then, but then after that, it was put on a box, and it was labeled. And right now, after the years, it had got out of the box, and it's it's actually, you know, it kind of had a, a second life. You know, it's uh, it's getting a lot of views, and a lot of we're selling a lot of DVDs and and a lot of downloads on Netflix. So it's it's uh, it's very interesting. You know, that's what I love about movies is that you leave a legacy. You know, we we I'm gonna die, but my films will continue the legacy of what I want to do. I want I. I I, I love to make movies, but I also see filmmaking as an opportunity to make a difference. And it's, it's, that's, that's my journey as a filmmaker. 
What suggestions would you share with our listeners in relation to doing something difficult as you are as an indie writer and director, whether it's in pursuing a career in that area or something in their day-to-day lives, in their business lives? What, say, two or three tips would you share with them about overcoming a difficult challenge in order to be an indie writer and director or whatever it is that they want to do in their lives? Well, the number one that I learned, and this one I'm trying to do myself, so I, I, it's, it's a tip that I'm going to give to myself as well. You know, when you're trying to make a movie, it becomes very overwhelming because it's very difficult. It's very difficult, and everybody's going to discourage you from doing it. So the most important thing is to be living day by day, to be in the present, and to not, be fo- to not focus so much on tomorrow, just on the moment. And I think that changes everything, because that's all we have, present, here, right now. So if we start spending too much time about, like, what if they don't give me the money? What if it, And then you, you can drown yourself in while making a movie. Would you, what my biggest suggestion is, Today, what do I need to achieve today? Tomorrow is tomorrow, but today is today. And a lot of the people, because I've, I've, you know, I went to film school. I was in film school for six years. So I see this, continu- this constant mistake on my peers where when I talk to them and I'm like, hey, what's going on with the movies? I go, oh, you know, what if, why, why to even finish it? Because what if I don't get the money? Then I wasted my time. And what if I don't get these? And what if then I wasted two years of my life writing the script? And, and then all of the things is they talk about all the fears that could happen. So that is the biggest challenge for storytellers. Because yes, this is, you, you, every, every, every time I go to a film school to give a class, I'm like, you chose a career that is very difficult. And if nobody tells you CC, they're lying to you. So you need to know that. And if you go into the game knowing that, you will eventually succeed. So my biggest advice, the biggest tip is to be here, present, today. Okay. I, I got, I, it's like when writing a script. It's like, okay, today I got to write one page, one page. And then if you start thinking, oh, I got to write, and then, oh, it's going to, it's going to take me. Yes. Yeah. I didn't know. If I wouldn't, this is, this is a good one. If I would have known the little boy was going to take me three years to write, I wouldn't have written it. I would not have written it. If, if I would start worrying, oh, this is going to take me three years, then you don't do it because you think about the future. I just took one day at a time and I thought it was going to take me six months. That's why I was so excited. But when it was six months, I was like, whoa, maybe another month and maybe another. And I was, and that level, it pushed me to be there in the present and dealing with what is in front of me today. And I think if filmmakers uh, take that approach, they will be surprised of how much they will start to accomplish. If, if, if they take day by day and they take a little step towards their goal, whatever their goal is going to be, if they already have a script and they want to raise the money, then today, who am, who, what am I going to do today to try to raise the money or to prepare? What am I going to do today to do this? And then just take it day by day because I've seen so many artists are there that are focusing on all of the challenges that are, that, that are ahead of them. And they are there. They're truth, by the way. Every challenge that I hear from every filmmaker or every musician, because I'm friends with musicians, 
uh, I'm more, I actually have more musician friends than, than filmmaker friends, but they're all facing the same thing. When I talk to them, the first thing I hear is all of the complications that are in front of them. And that can really take over your mind, your creative space, and how much you can advance. So my biggest suggestion is don't think about that. Just think about the challenge that you have to cross that particular day. And then you will move on. And then you will move on. And then you will move on. But if you're writing a movie and then you start thinking, how am I going to raise the money? You're not going to finish writing the movie because then you're going to realize, like, I, when I write, by the way, this is a very interesting one. I don't think about money. Like, my new movie... I think it's the budget. We haven't budgeted, but if you ask me, I think it's going to be around $60 million. Where am I going to get $60 million? I don't know. But I wasn't writing like that. I just wrote it. I wrote it. Here is the script. And then I, I gave it to people to read. People like it. We got a producer attached right now, and we move on. But if I was to think, oh, how am I going to read $60 million? I would not have finished the movie because it's really difficult in today's world to raise $60 million. So I, 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 my biggest suggestion to filmmakers, and, and it applies to everybody, not just filmmakers, anybody, is to, to just live in the present, in the present. And, and I am a victim of that. If I could live in the present, I would be the happiest man on earth. Thank you, Alejandro, for joining us from Los Angeles, California. Thank you very much for, uh, for listening to me and, and giving me the opportunity to share you know, the my latest film, Little Boy, and and I and I just urge everybody to see it, and I will I guarantee that they will love it. And if they don't love it, they can they can contact me, and I'll I'll, I'll refund their money. <laughs> <laughs> and to our audience, thank you for listening to Alejandro Monteverde, who is director of Little Boy, who discussed his movie. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicNPR.com.